Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, March 9th, sponsored by 42 Bar and Table at the Clinton Center. In today's edition, we're going to talk state legislative doings, medical marijuana stank, and maybe some more. I'm joined, as always, by Max Brantley, oh. who you uh, regularly hear yawning in the introduction. <laughs> I've just got narcolepsy. I can't help it. So the fiscal session of the Arkansas General Assembly will formally adjourn on Monday, but it's essentially done, and for once, the legislature approved the Medicaid, the appropriation for Medicaid expansion without much drama. That was probably helped by the federal government's approval of a work requirement that, despite what Governor Hutchinson says, is is punitive by design. Yeah, and, and the the lawmakers like that. Well, let me say this that. There wasn't much drama. There was a little bit in the Senate. You know, they passed it with just the exact number of votes needed, 27. And that happened only because one strong opponent, uh, Alan Clark, said, and and Terry Rice, too, I think, both said they wouldn't vote against it at this point because they thought people were tired of the debate. And I think what that was about was there were three open seats. And so they, they needed 27 votes out of 32 senators to pass this. There's special elections that are about to happen. It's unclear how those will turn out. There's some foes of the Medicaid expansion on the ballot in those races. If it comes back that after they seat a new Senate in time for the 2019 session, uh, and that's a ways off, and other elections change things in the fall elections, well, I, I don't think it's off the table that they'll try again to kill the program. But right now, for a nine-month period of time, I think they just decided discretion was a better part of valor. The people that still voted against it said that the the work requirement was nice. They're all for punishing poor people, but it wasn't that much. It's not going to save that much money, particularly since they have never said how much they're going to have to pay to implement the checks that will be required to do this. They're sending notices to 39,000 people, but I don't think realistically we're looking at more than about a third of those being affected to start with that is truly able to work. Uh, And uh, some of those are working already. Uh, And you only have to work 80 hours a month. And that's the problem with poor people is there are a lot of people who are employed, they're just not employed full time. And so you get 20 hours a week at the state's minimum wage of $8.50 an hour, and you make $200 a week, uh, you can't buy much insurance with that. And I think the real concern is, and they had a dog and pony show yesterday to say, oh, they're going to take all kinds of steps to make sure everybody's notified and and can get to a computer if they don't own one, which a lot of them don't, and can get to an office if they don't own a car to drive there, that they'll make sure people are looked after. Well, that's baloney. They won't be. That People are going to fall off this program, and that's that's by design. That's what they want. You don't save money unless you throw people off. And this provision where if if you don't turn your form in or you in fact don't have a job and you should have one that you can't come back and go back on the rolls for how long is it three months longer than that maybe uh that's just punitive i mean that's other states that have these work requirements kentucky you can reestablish your eligibility almost immediately not in arkansas oh no you get thrown off for a whole year it's in arkansas the, it's the rest yeah. of the year yeah right? and so that's just that's just mean is all uh and I, I don't know, they're, they're testing the work requirement in Kentucky. Ours is even worse. I'm still hopeful that there's going to be a legal action to contest this uh, move in Arkansas. But the good news is, is, the, is the feds haven't yet approved his bigger plan, which is to 
make only the very poorest people qualify, and that would throw 60,000 more people off the roll. So. Uh, so that was that was kind of the big story of the fiscal session. There's going to be a special session uh, that starts on Tuesday. The call hasn't been issued by the governor for it, but we know it's going to include uh, this legislation that would put oversight or regulation of the pharmacy benefit managers under the insurance department, the state insurance department, and there's a cleanup of some highway funding. Uh, we don't know, but think that likely there's going to be a uh, a version of the the voucher bill that we've discussed in previous weeks here, and then there also might be uh, something to help the hog farm. Well, uh, right, uh, Jeremy Gillum, the House Speaker, who has a lot of clout, says he has the has the votes uh, to uh, pass and to put on the agenda the the school voucher bill. Uh, the governor hadn't yet said whether he'll include that in the call, but you could suspend the rules and do it if they want to. Why Jerry McGillum is so hot and bothered about this school voucher bill is beyond me. And by the way, they hate that we call it a school voucher, but it's it's a voucher by another name. It's a shell game. People get a direct tax deduction, which means lower taxes for sending money into a savings account to pay for K-12 through education, and the money piles up tax-free. That is, you get state money back that you... But, and only if you put it in a private school. You don't just get that state money back for use how you want to. It's it's a direct transfer from your tax bill that normally would go to the state into a private school. So I think voucher's close enough. It's a shell game, backdoor voucher at a, at a minimum, as, as Jocelyn Elder has called it. The only, I, I think there's a good chance it'll pass anyway in the, in, in, in the session if it gets on the, on the agenda and is voted up or down and not a special language as it was tacked on to the treasurer's office bill. But at least there'll have to be a full debate. The, nobody understands this bill completely. You can tell from the floor debate that there are a lot of people that have bought into being for it without understanding how it works. Uh, it is a voucher bill. It does take money from regular public schools, and there are even some Republicans that don't like that very much, only a few, but some. This really is, is as Jeremy Gillum and others tried to say it was not, about the choice argument. The Walton lobbyists, pumps at every chance he can because anything that promotes what they call choice, they're for. Anything that lets people take money and go to a private school, they're for. Vouchers are where the Waltons and the other billionaires got in the school choice, so-called movement in the first place. They wanted vouchers. They wanted people to have their tax dollars be portable, let them spend their tax dollars where they want. I'd like to spend my tax dollars on funding Planned Parenthood, but I'm not allowed to do it. But they think they should be able to allow to take their tax dollars and fund private church schools with it. Uh, and so that's going on, and, it, and it's going on, by the way, against a backdrop of the State Board of Education, which did the amazing thing this week of denying exemptions from South Arkansas majority black school districts to not participate in the, in the mandatory school transfer choice law that, that, uh, that the billionaires passed. And that is, they say, if, if they're required to participate, that white people will leave the district and make the school districts more segregated. Uh, the state passed a law that says the federal courts, what they want no longer matters. We decide what's best. This is known as nullification. We tried it in 1957, and the federal courts wouldn't let us do it. Perhaps they will now. These school districts in Hope, Junction City, Camden and Lafayette County are going to sue and, and challenge the state's assertion that the state legislature is more powerful than a federal court. 
Uh, I don't think they should that the state should win on this, but you just never know. The courts have changed as well. But I, I wrote a pretty angry screed about this this week because, I mean, it, freedom of choice was a phrase invented in the 50s and 60s to support segregation. I mean, that is when you're free to choose. You go to a neighborhood school, and white neighborhoods go to white neighborhoods, and black go to black, and that's the idea. And this is no more than the same thing. We're resegregating in Arkansas, and we're leaving poor kids behind who disproportionately tend to be black. And it's like Little Rock never happened. It's like the 101st Airborne never came into Little Rock to uphold the rule of law and, and equal rights for all students. And it's it's just a crying shame is what it is. What about the hog farm? Hog farm's going to be, well, I don't know if it's going to be on the legislative session. They're, the environmentalists believe they've come close to getting two-thirds of the chambers to put this bill on the session, and it's a very complicated piece of legislation. The environmentalists believe that the, the Farm Bureau yes, has come they, they think the Farm Bureau is behind it, and certainly it's been drafted by uh, corporate lawyers who fight environmentalists in, in court <coughs> regularly. And But the long and short of it is is it would, it would overturn the state action that prevented a new permit for the CNH hog farm, which... Uh, pours millions of gallons of hog waste out every every year in the Buffalo River watershed. They, they say they contain it. The environmentalists aren't so sure. But the, the larger issue is, is the bill also would kind of open this, this way around permitting for lots of other agriculture operations. And so it would be bad, not just for this hog farm in the Buffalo River, but perhaps everywhere else. There's some indication that Governor Hutchinson is not necessarily wholly on board with this, however, faced with a two-thirds vote of the legislature in both the House and Senate, he might just have to go along. If they're going to do it anyway, he, he just might have to include it. So I'm going to be interested to see if it's in the call or they're going to make them do it on their own. And that's coming Monday. The call should come Monday. All right, let's talk about our sponsor, 42 Bar and Table. Let's talk about 42. It's the, the great restaurant downstairs in the Clinton Library, free parking right near downtown free valet parking too but this must be uh louisiana week i noticed the specials today are crawfish etouffee and shrimp and grits sounds like friday in in lake charles louisiana got to be seafood day but also they've got something that's not exactly louisiana but they call it new england oyster and bacon chowder so mm. i assume that's cream based chowder with oysters and bacon i don't see how that could be bad yeah it, it would it would have to be good all right, check them out, 42 Bar and Table. they got a nice happy hour, too. And by the way, you can reserve 537-0042. Get it? 0042. 42. Got it. Uh, so we talked last week about the company selected to grow medical marijuana. This week, some of your reporting indicates something of a smell around the selection process. Well, a lot of this is coming, of course, from the losers who are not happy that they lost. But it's a mess. Uh, they picked five top scores, uh, and we've reported who they were. And I guess then we find out today, that, and then they had a week to get their money in, to pay their $100,000 permit fee and their 500000 bond, surety bond. Well, one of them was late in posting and didn't make it until today, and that was an outfit called Natural State Wellness whose backers include a very wealthy Oklahoma corporation, Dustin McDaniel, the former attorney general, and some of his relatives, Henry Wilkins of Pine Bluff, son of the county judge down there. And they had put in for two permits, one in Jackson, one in Jefferson County. 
and but said that their preference was Jefferson County and said early this week that Jefferson County was where it was going to be and the Economic Development Alliance of Jefferson County very happy to have that new business with 30 or 40 people announced that they had them lined up. They'd given them some some considerations to come to Jefferson County. Well, today, when they put their money in, they said, we're going to Jackson County. And they issued a little statement, which is Newport, and they issued a little statement saying, well, the economic development guy in Jackson County just wouldn't quit working on us, and they made us a good deal, and so we're just going to go to Jackson County. Well, that's not really the story. The The story really is is there's a, a uh, kind of a crotchety Republican in Jefferson County named Stu Sofer. He's a member of the State Board of Election Commissioners who has feuded for years with the Democratic power structure in Jefferson County, particularly including the county judge, uh, Henry Wilkins, a former state legislator. And he started inquiring about what land they were going to use for the project and who owned the land and whether the Wilkins owned the land. Well, they didn't. Uh, The land was acquired by the Economic Development Alliance, which is a publicly funded agency so happens that the county judge is a dispersing agent and a member of the board of that thing, but I don't think there's any showing that there was anything improper about that. But these questions were raised. Uh, Dustin McDaniel's law firm does county work. That's perfectly legal. And remember, the approval of the permit came from the State Medical Marijuana Commission, whatever associations the Wilkins might have had with Dustin McDaniel and what have you, that's local politics. That's nothing to do with the merits of their medical marijuana application. But all of the, all of this noise started during a week in which a lot of other political conspiracies were growing to do with other applicants for the permits. And th- there's starting to be a growing noise about whether who you are mattered more than what you are and what you propose. And I think it finally came, and, and by the way, Henry Wilkins is also the county judge, not the, the participant in the medical marijuana application, has also been bound up in ongoing discussions about how the state's general improvement fund money was spent and whether, whether it was properly spent by the legislators who got, he was among those who got money to hand out to local agencies. Nobody has yet alleged anything wrong about that, but that's another thing that has a certain odor to it because two legislators have pleaded guilty to to misusing that money. Another one's on, faces trial for it, a lobbyist faces trial, so there's just sort of a general aroma about it. And I think in the end, they just said, you know, there's a poisonous political atmosphere in Jefferson County. This is where we wanted to be, but we don't need to be a part of this. And so they went to Jackson County. Meanwhile, we reported that Travis Story, a member of the Medical Marijuana Commission, a Fayetteville lawyer, did legal work previously along with his partner, Republican State Representative Bob Ballinger, for the family that uh, was a successful marijuana applicant to have a cultivation facility in Carroll County near Berryville. Uh, we don't know if when Story rated that application and he gave it a very high grade, knew specifically that that Berryville application was his former client's, but we do know, thanks to what Bob Ballinger told the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, that yes, they knew the true loves, the owners of this company, were going into the marijuana business. And they said, of course, we can't help you on this because Travis is on the marijuana commission. 
but when he was grading, did he not have any idea that they were in there? What Was there a duty on his part to say that I have somebody who has an application, I don't know which one, I want it accepted? Was there a duty on their part to say something? Well, Dustin McDaniel, by the way, gave a speech at Rotary Club this week in Little Rock in which he said, you know, this thing is, I mean, they were winners and they're happy, and I, I think he was careful about it, but we had a citizen commission that had to re review thousands of pages of applications for more than 80 concerns. They were all new to public service. There isn't a staff wholly and singularly devoted to medical marijuana in the state regulatory structure. McDaniel says we probably needed one. He said we probably should have farmed out review of these applications to an independent nonpartisan group that would have ranked them. I think somebody once suggested we should have had a lottery and then and then judged the lottery winners to see if they met the standards and if they did, they got it. And that would include financial standards and all the rest. Well, in any event, we went the way we went. There's a rumor as we're recording this that one of the losing parties, which includes some people who paid a lot of money toward the successful amendment campaign, are going to file a lawsuit over how this process was handled. There are questions about whether the, D the Department of Finance Administration, for example, checked whether everybody had been up to date on their franchise tax filings with the Secretary of State's office. There's some suggestion that some of them had fallen in arrears on those. There's questions about whether they accurately measured distances from schools, which was one disqualifying feature. You know, it's just, and pretty clearly people met some of the minority standards by lining up front people, which is not surprising. That's about what you would expect to have happen. And so I don't know, it's, there's just sort of a miasma of, of, of ill odors and all of this. and. We didn't go into it very well. The big question is, is if somebody sues, will they be allowed to get anywhere with it? The, the state Supreme Court precedent says you can't sue the state. has been used to summarily dismiss other lawsuits against other administrative agencies. However, there's a rumor I'm checking. I don't have an answer yet, but it was suggested to me by somebody who's fairly well plugged in that the governor has sent out word to state agencies not to raise the sovereign immunity defense unless they've been specifically allowed to do so. So even if DFA is sued over this, there's a question of whether they will or they won't raise the sovereign immunity question. We've got the next round is, is reviewing a couple of hundred applications for 32 dispensary permits. This will multiply the problems that emerge in the cultivation permit process, it seems to me, at least fourfold. And so I don't know the day in which we may actually have a, a marijuana brownie available for purchase in Arkansas could be a long way off. <laughs> Only for medicinal uses, by the way. Of course, of course. Okay, well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you have this week? God, I had something, but, I, but then I forgot. I don't well, know. I watched this bizarre documentary last night on typewriters. Oh, wow. People who collect typewriters and people who still work on typewriters, and it was Tom Hanks is a typewriter old feel. It turns out, and it was it was kind of amusing. I, but you know, I don't think I would. And there were some authors, David McCullough and oh, and some others who said no typewriters are just you know putting the printed letter on the page is all about their creative process and what have you. I wouldn't go back to typewriters. Oh no, 
I much prefer word processors. Now, there was something to be said about the notion of creating this permanent record. I mean, the hard drive of a computer is not necessarily true. a permanent record, and so there was that. And also, they had an auction where they sold the typewriter in which Cormac uh, McCarthy had written most of his novels at Christie's for $230,000. Jeez. So I don't know. I had a Smith Corona when I was in college. Collecting typewriters, you need a lot of space. Well, and some of these people had big space, and they displayed them very handsomely. All they had that's one guy that owns more models of the very first typewriter, which was invented by some German guy in Milwaukee, than anybody else in the world, and his house was just this pigsty of boxes and mess, and and he doesn't want to sell. It's probably worth a fortune, but he doesn't want to sell them. He just and then there was this artist. I'm going on far too long about this. I know. No. There's a sculptor who deconstructs typewriters and then makes sculptures out of typewriter parts. And he was struggling at it for years, making no money at all. And he finally, finally sold a deer made out of typewriter parts to some tech jillionaire in San Francisco and it showed him installing it in this guy's apartment that had a view all the way from the Golden Gate to the Bay Bridge. I mean, the apartment couldn't have cost less than about $20 million. But because of that, suddenly he got hot in Silicon Valley and now he's selling typewriter sculptures all over. As I say, it was kind of, it was kind of funny. It was weird. Yeah, you're, you're making it sound better than it did initially. Oh, you know, there it, it had it, it had its moments. I mean, there was anyway. I won't bore you with any more of it, but it was it was surprisingly engaging given the topic. I'm going to endorse the local venue just down the street from us in the River Market, the Rev Room or Revolution. Um, they hosted Beth Ditto from from my home county of of White, um, Judsonia native who's made it big uh, all over, but especially in Europe, I think. She hadn't been to town in oh, seven or eight years, and uh, it was a it was a great, super fun show. Uh, she's a, a kind of LGBTQ icon, and so there was a big contingent of, of folks uh, that were there, you know, excited about all her shout-outs. And then she had probably about 40 family members, and she talked to them throughout the show and sang with them, had her mom on stage, and uh, she she's just very delightful. St- Stephanie Smittle, our arts and entertainment editor, and I were talking about how we really wanted to have a variety show and be like this generation's Dolly Parton. Um, so, fingers crossed. I think some of her new stuff could be crossover country. I watched some on YouTube yesterday it's good she's she has a huge voice yeah, it'd be great to have her at the the cmas speaking her mind uh also reverend because it's uh chris king and and suzanne aubrey the owners have long been our partners and hosting the musician showcase and the finals of this year's musician showcase start tonight at 8 p.m we've got a great lineup um so come out and check that out and they have booked Big Boy from Outcast, I think May 26th, which is a coup. I think that's like bringing Paul McCartney to town as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, yeah, tickets go on sale today, I think. Also, Hannibal Barris is coming soon, and tickets for that go on sale today. So. While, while we're talking about rock and roll, yeah, 
our sponsor, 42 Bar and Table. If you go there for lunch, which of course they're open for lunch six days a week, you can then go upstairs to the Clinton Library and see what they've got on display. And they're opening a new exhibit on the effects of rock and roll music and politics. Yeah, it's a collaboration with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I believe. Yeah, and I, it sounds pretty good. If they don't do even destruction, I'm going to be terribly disappointed. All right, we'll check it out uh, and tell them we sent you. We'll see you next time. Bye. The podcast you just heard was recorded with Anchor. If you want to make your own, download the Android or iOS app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast. That's anchor.fm slash podcast.